many of us can just feel the benefits of spending time in nature. But these outdoor experiences often can feel pretty far removed from our traditional occupational therapy work. Now, there's a good chance you've already heard of nature-based therapy, as it is a pretty just hot topic in the occupational therapy world. However, you may not be aware of the breadth of research that is available on this topic, and you might be pleasantly surprised how well nature-based therapy actually aligns with your OT practice, even in traditional settings. In this episode, we'll explore a paper looking at the effects of a horticulture group therapy on adults with mental health diagnoses. We'll then use this research to springboard into a broader discussion on the types of nature-based therapy, the research supporting it, and the potential impacts it may have on your practice. To guide us through this topic, we'll be joined by nature-based occupational therapist Laura Park-Figueroa, whose enthusiasm for this topic will certainly leave you eager to learn more. So let's dive in. Welcome to the OT Potential Podcast, where we review new and influential OT research, then invite on an expert guest to help us pull out actionable takeaways that you can implement in your practice starting today. Welcome to the podcast. I'm your host, Sarah Lyon, OTRL. And before we dive into nature-based OT, I wanted to let you know that this podcast may qualify as continuing education for you. You are probably listening to this podcast on a free podcast platform, but to gain CEU credit, you will need to be a member of the OT Potential Club, our OT evidence-based practice platform. I'll give some more details on being in the club at the end of the episode, but bearing in mind that this could qualify as continuing education, I wanted to explicitly state our two learning objectives so you can just be mulling over them throughout the podcast today. Our first objective is that you will be able to identify the types of nature-based therapy in which OTs can be involved. And secondly, you will be able to describe ways that nature-based therapy research could impact occupational therapy delivery in traditional settings. So let's begin with just an overview of the research, and then we'll bring on Laura to discuss how this research could play out in your practice. The article that we're looking at today is called Nature-Based Solution for Improving Mental Health and Well-Being in Urban Areas. It comes to us from the Journal of Environmental Research. It was published in 2017, and it is ranked 30th on our list of the 100 most influential OT research articles. So the introduction to this article was really interesting for me because it took me to the other side of the world in Belgrade, Serbia, and kind of set up this problem that I think many of us can relate to where urbanization and political unrest has caused an increased level of stress on the population. And that's particularly felt by those who experience mental health conditions. And so the authors were looking at trying to use nature-based therapy in a day hospital program at the Institute for Mental Health that was right there in Belgrade. The authors give a little introduction to nature-based therapy, but as I was reading, that was definitely one place where I wanted a little bit more from them, and that's something that we'll talk to Laura in a little bit about definitions behind nature-based therapy and also the different types of nature-based therapy. But for the purposes of this article, they were looking specifically at a horticulture therapy program. 
And their intent with this paper was the authors wanted to know how horticulture therapy in an urban green environment could improve the mental health of attendees at a psychiatric day program or that day hospital that's part of the Institute of Mental Health. Something else I really liked about this study is that it was actually a collaboration between three groups. And those three groups were the workers at the main botanical garden in Belgrade, the faculty of forestry from the University of Belgrade, and again, that day hospital at the Institute of Mental Health in Belgrade. So in the methods sections, the authors explain how the study involved 30 adult psychiatric patients, all of whom attended the day hospital program. And these 30 patients were randomly assigned to either a control group or a study group. The basic demographic information of these patients was that they were all 25 to 65. They had a psychiatric diagnosis of adjustment disorder, anxiety, and or depression, and 70% of them were female. Everyone in these two groups met three times a week for four weeks, each meeting being one hour. And for the study group, the group that they were studying the horticulture program with, these participants had 12 sessions that followed kind of the just a standardized horticulture program, and all the main activities were focused on working with living plants in this botanical garden. The basic structure of each session was that there was an introduction, a preparation period, the main activity, and then group sharing. And in the research, they actually break down what each of these sessions look like. So for example, on one of the days, the main activity was to visit the greenhouse and then relax on the grass of the lawn outside and do sunbathing and meditation. And for the control group, they were back at the day hospital and receiving what I assumed was their traditional programming, which was, it said, OT and art therapy for 12 sessions. And there was kind of less information on what that entailed, but it definitely seemed like they were thinking of it as standard care that was taking place indoors. Then as far as assessing how these different groups were going, they used a self-reported assessment, which was the Depression Anxiety Stress Scale, or the DAS-21. I'll link to that in the club if you want to dig a little deeper into that. But for our purposes, it's helpful to know that this assessment has three different subscales, depression, anxiety, and stress. Okay, so that was kind of the setup of the research. And then as far as the results, on the anxiety and depression subscales of this DAS-21, there was no significant effect found in either of the group, either the horticulture group or the group that was at the day hospital receiving traditional care. However, the interesting finding that the authors were excited about was on the subscale of that self-report, both groups saw a little improvement, but the horticulture group, that group that was outdoors doing this nature-based therapy, showed significantly improved scores compared to the control group. So what was the author's discussion and conclusions from this? The authors were definitely encouraged by these findings. They indicated that exposure to urban green space and involvement in a horticulture therapy program had a clear benefit on a fundamental component of mental health, which is stress management. And they went on to recommend nature therapy to psychiatric patients as a form of occupational therapy and supportive therapies. I wrote my own takeaways from this article in the OT Potential Club, and we have a forum where you can ask questions and dig a little deeper into this specific 
research, but now to share her thoughts on this research and really just orient us even more to this nature-based therapy world, it is my pleasure to bring on Laura Park Figueroa. Laura spent the first 15 years of her career as an occupational therapist in pediatric, outpatient, and school-based practice. On the verge of burnout in 2014, she considered leaving the profession until she remembered a dream that she had way back in OT school, which was to work outdoors in nature as an OT. In 2015, she started Outdoor Kids OT, a nature-based private practice specializing in outdoor therapy groups for children. She created the Contigo Approach, which stands for Connection and Transformation in the Great Outdoors. And this is an evidence-based therapy model to empower pediatric therapists of all disciplines to take their work with children into nature. Laura is also currently a PhD candidate at Texas Women's University with a research specialization in nature-based pediatric occupational therapy. And just as a brief financial disclosure, Laura does briefly mention her Contigo approach and nature-based coaching, which she obviously has financial interest in as part of her business, but we here at OT Potential have no financial stake or vested interest in these products. So without further ado, I am going to patch Laura onto our podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Laura. It's great to have you. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. This is seriously a conversation that I cannot wait to explore. Yeah, I'm just so smiling ear to ear. My cheeks are already like <laughs> a little sore. And I'm realizing over the years, you and I have gotten to talk multiple times. And usually mm. we talk about OT and business or yeah. things like that. And I've never really got to really focus in and dive in with you on one of your first loves, which is nature-based OT. So yes. it's such a pleasure to have this time today. Yeah, we have so much to talk about. I'm so excited for what we have planned for everyone. And I can't wait for people to have this information in our profession. I just think it's yeah. it has real power to be transformational in any practice setting, not just pediatrics, which is my love, but yeah, I think it will really help people. Absolutely. I want to start with just hearing a little bit about your story and how you discovered nature-based OT. Like I think about myself in OT school 10 years ago, and I don't even think I had heard about it. I don't think it was on my radar. Right. So how did you come to find out about it and take the steps to become so involved? Yeah, I think it's something that has been happening for a long time, but has been more hidden, right? Like I'm yeah. sure there are therapists all over the world who have been using nature, occupational therapists and occupational therapy assistants who have been using nature in their practice for many, many years. I would say it has recently become more at the forefront and more visible in mm -hmm. online spaces, I guess. I personally was 15 years into my career and I had worked in school-based and hospital settings. I had done some home-based therapy work as a private solo practitioner running my own business. And I had been in school-based practice at the time when I was hitting like my 15-year anniversary being an OT and I was just on the verge of burnout. I just wanted to leave the profession because I was so tired of bureaucracy and mm -hmm. we won't go down that road. But <laughs> yeah. I think a lot of people can relate because the way that we want to practice OT is not often what matches in more traditional settings, right? 
And so I did the logical thing that anyone would do. I went back to grad school to get a master's degree in OT. And (laughs) so in that process, we had to do a master's thesis, which I wrote on nature and OT and incorporating nature into OT practice. Mm. And there was really not literature out there. At the time, there were two studies, one from India and one done in Uganda on kind of outdoor play, but not exactly integrating nature into therapy work. So that became my love. I started my outdoor nature-based therapy practice in California in 2015. It's called Outdoor Kids OT and grew that from there and then started developing the Contigo approach, which stands for Connection and Transformation in the Great Outdoors. It's an acronym. It also means with you in Spanish, which is a little Hmm. cute double entendre. (laughs) And the Contigo approach was designed to help other therapists have a framework or a model to help guide their thinking when they want to take their work with children outdoors. And I swore I would never go back to school after I did my master's. And then two (laughs) years later, I enrolled in a PhD program (laughs) because here's the thing. I really do not think a PhD is necessary for business. People ask me this all the time, but I do think that when you find something that you truly love, that you're Mm -hmm. so passionate about, I mean, if I could just get paid to read articles about nature and children all day long, I would. (laughs) So I just really love this topic. I'm so interested in it. I'm so passionate about it. I think it has real power to truly transform people's lives in a way that we as OTs want to. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I'm done with all my coursework and starting my dissertation research very soon. My proposal is into the mentor for revisions and recommendations for editing. So I'll be working on that soon, but that's, yeah, that's pretty much my story. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I'm thinking about you getting your PhD related to this and I agree for most business owners, that isn't a necessary step. But in nature-based therapy, just my impression from this week is there is good research out there, but it hasn't been gathered and synced for us specific to occupational therapy. Would you say that's true? Oh, 100%. I mean, it is crazy how there is so much multidisciplinary evidence for this practice, for integrating nature into practice with almost any population that an OT would work with. Yeah. And yet there's almost nothing. I shouldn't say nothing, but there's almost nothing. And I will go out there on record as saying at time of this recording, I've done an extensive literature review for my dissertation. And to my knowledge, there is not one article in OT talking about integrating nature-based practice, like really nature. There's horticulture, there's programs that are in gardens or maybe adventure therapy programs where they're like out in the mountains, you know, with veterans. There's a lot of research with veterans. So there's, I guess I should be more specific to say there's a lack of research for me in particular. I'm seeing a gap where there's not research on pediatric Mm. work with children outdoors, which seems strange to me that, yeah. <laughs> that we wouldn't have research on that. There's some on outdoor play, but that specific piece of nature is really missing and we need more. And I think there's some in progress. I do know of people working on PhDs working and master's theses yeah. that are working on research in that area. But yeah, I just think in our profession, for some reason, our voices are really absent in a lot of the multidisciplinary literature, which doesn't make any sense to me. I feel like OTs should be at the forefront of this. We we believe 
Yeah, it's a perfect fit. We know the power of environment and context to affect how a person participates in their daily life, right? And if you read some of the literature in psychology, they actually use language that is so OT. I mean, they sound like an OT. Mm -hmm. They say it's not just the person, it's the environment around them and the environment affects us. And it sounds like OT theory when you read it, but it's not written by an OT. And OT's voices are totally absent in the literature and psychology on this. So it's so interesting to think about that. Yeah. And this article is really interesting because... OT was used as the control group, but they were doing horticulture therapy, essentially, as a nature-based program. And this article was helpful to me, I guess, just as like a jumping off point into this topic, because it kind of got me thinking of all the different types of nature-based therapy that there could be, both like the more simpler versions and more complex versions. What was your initial impressions of this research? I thought the pro to this article, the thing I loved most about it was that they actually were comparing a nature-based intervention to a more traditional intervention. Mm -hmm. And a lot of the nature-based literature is qualitative. And I think we have to break our minds if you still have it, because I know I did when I started my PhD program from this assumption that like, qualitative evidence isn't really evidence. We need quantitative evidence, right? Mm, Yeah. So qualitative evidence is evidence, but I liked that this study had some quantitative evidence just because it's rare in the nature-based literature. I think there are studies with like brain scans and salivary measuring cortisol in, in saliva and stuff after exposure to nature and things like that, but much more common are qualitative studies. So I appreciated in this study that they had a control group I feel like the intervention too, another thing I appreciated was that the intervention was not complex. It was something that almost any therapist could read this article and see what they did because they had a nice chart where they outlined kind of Mm -hmm. what each week they did with people. It was essentially spending time in natural areas, interacting with nature, resting, meditation. They did some collection of natural materials for fruits or nuts But it's really important to note that it wasn't a program to teach people about nature. And that's something that is very prevalent in the literature is that really being present in nature and just being in nature is the healing thing. It's not so much that you have to know the names of the plants and the names of the trees that you're around. And I think often with kids, we think about that. We think they should get science education, you know, and that's very different than a nature connection. And so I liked that this article, this article was with adults, but I liked that it just wasn't complex. You know, it was just very simple what they did. And then they showed their results. I'll just say real quick, they proposed that their finding was that stress was reduced, right? And I think it was hard to see that in the way they presented the data. And the article was also, the translation into English was challenging to read at some points. Mm -hmm. And so I think those things kind of made me feel as if this article wasn't the best quality article to show the power of nature. Yeah. But I like what you said about it's a jumping off point, right? Like to help us start thinking about nature. And yeah, that's kind of my takeaways from it. Yeah. Yeah. I worked at a psychiatric hospital and ran mm-hmm. groups like this. And I was like, oh, I could totally see myself running a group like this. And I could see myself taking this evidence to uh, like my administrator to help get yes. him on board with 
it's worth the time to figure out how to be outside. Like, yes, because it is extra effort, but yeah, it's worth it. And we have research that shows that. Like you said, I feel this article in particular of the ones we've looked at felt like such a sliver of what's out there in nature-based therapy. And even in the introduction, I really wanted more of a setup of like the overall benefits of nature-based therapy and what the research is showing us overall Mm -hmm. as far as the benefits of being outside. I don't want to put the pressure on you to summarize all of the research (laughs) of nature-based in therapy. The whole world. <laughs> but in general, what are some of the just overall benefits that we're seeing in the research that you think OT should be aware of? Not all of them, but just some of the most important ones. Yeah, I think this question is well-timed because I just did that big literature review, but it was very challenging to do because of the huge uptick in research on nature-based approaches and nature-based therapy. So I I did a little data collection for our podcast here, Sarah. I did this on Google Scholar. This will tell people how this research is exploding right now, right? And it's only a matter of time before we have research in OT on this. So I did a search on Google Scholar for the words nature-based. Okay. So that could be anything. It could be nature-based education, nature-based therapy. From 1990 to 2000, there were about 8,000 results. From 2000 to 2010, that went up to a little over 17,000. And from 2010 to 2021, there were 40,300 hits. So that's showing us that like over the last three decades, there's been more than a fourfold increase Mm -hmm. in research on this topic. So I think it correlates with the boom in technology, right? We know we need nature because technology is not good for us. We could do a whole nother (laughs) podcast on that. But anyway, so basically what I found when I did my lit review is that the benefits can be broadly categorized into physical, mental, cognitive, and social. In the area of physical, the main findings in the research are that nature benefits human health by enhancing immune system function. There's extremely beneficial bacteria and soil that is beneficial for us. We get microbes in our system when we go outside and we're breathing. There's a lot of research around that. And then another one, which is probably not a surprise to people, is increasing physical activity. So it's a place where people Mm -hmm. are more active and have opportunities to be more active. So those are the main two for physical. In the mental health area, and again, I don't think this will be surprising to people, Decreased stress, as in the article that we reviewed here. There's lots of other articles to support that finding as well. Decreasing anxiety and depression. So a really interesting finding in several different studies is that being outdoors in nature decreases rumination, which are those interrupting, like kind of repetitive thoughts in your mind when you're really anxious. There is evidence that people who spend more time outdoors are more happy and more content with their lives, specifically with children. This, I love this finding. I literally get goosebumps with this finding because I think this is so necessary for pediatric therapists to know. Specifically with children, there's research that nature is a space where kids generally can feel more competent, which leads to them building confidence, right? Mm. Kids that are typically seen in indoor classrooms as like behavior issues for, you know, the derogatory term that we don't like to use, but 
they aren't seen as quote unquote bad when they're outdoors in nature. They actually become leaders. They actually become people who are kind of in their element when they're outdoors in nature with a group. And it's just such a beautiful finding in the literature because we need that for kids. We need kids to feel competent and feel Mm -hmm. good about themselves. Right. And then also probably not surprising, it helps kids build resilience. They try new things. They take risks. They kind of test the limits of their own bodies. Okay. So that's all the mental health ones. And then for cognition, for cognitive, there's huge finding. And this is where we really see it correlate with OT theories. There's a theory called attention restoration theory, and it's been highly researched, basically saying that nature is a place where our directed attention, our focus is restored. Similar to some OT theories about us having limited reserves of attention and needing to restore those reserves of attention. That's occupational adaptation theory really correlates with attention restoration theory. And then there are some studies too that show for cognition that kids who do working memory tasks outdoors actually show less brainwave activity, essentially, like for a kind of direct way to say it, that they they achieve the same scores, but their brains didn't have to work as hard, essentially, to get the same result on a cognitive task. So, and then finally, social awe, experiencing awe and like looking around you at these things is a social kind of bonding experience with other people. There is tons of evidence that being out in nature just fosters pro-social behavior between adults and also between children. And also, this is really interesting for any speech therapist or people who work with speech therapists and you want to get them into nature-based therapy. There are two studies that I know of that show that when kids are outdoors, they speak more. They actually have longer utterances than they do Mm -hmm. when they're in an indoor setting. So that's my long summation of (laughs) From an outline, <laughs> yeah. from memory, y'all. I can tell you just did a lit review. <laughs> yeah, right. That's just like really blowing my mind thinking about how that showcases how interconnected all aspects of our health are and how that yeah. interacts with our environment. As OTs, we talk about that all the time, but for some reason, we're not here in this space yet, like yeah. as much as we should be. And I feel like we're ready and we're poised. Like the theories we've been teaching are being shown to be true in research. Yes. You know, does that make? Absolutely. And it has frustrated me a bit in my lit review because sometimes I see things that look very OT that are much more widely cited than our profession is. And so, you know, it's a theory that very much matches what an OT theory would say. And yet we're not kind of the ones that are leading the way and that people are following. So it's really interesting to me. I feel really strongly that this type of research is so aligned with OT and we need to be partnering with people in other fields to kind of increase the awareness of the contributions of OT and what we can make in this area. So yeah, it's exciting. It's really exciting. I think there's huge potential there. Yeah. I'm curious. There's so many types of nature therapy and then you could do all those different types with different groups or populations. Is there one type of nature therapy or one population where the most research is happening? Like where's the trailblazing research happening if it's not with OT? Yeah. What should we be following? Well, I would say the field of psychology is probably the most forward thinking on this. And they started publishing research on eco-psychology, like that term eco-psychology. 
I think was in the eighties maybe. So, I mean, it's been a while, you know, I mean, they have yeah. lots of literature out there. I was actually surprised at how many books there are on eco-psychology and basically eco-psychology is a field of psychology, like a, I don't know that they'd call it a specialization, but it's basically a field of psychology that their foundational belief is that our connection to nature is essential and foundational to human health and well-being. So they would never see a person for therapy, for counseling, or for psychotherapy without actually considering the person's relationship to the natural world as well, because that's how crucial they think it is. One of the things they often talk about in the books and the articles that have been published in the field of eco-psychology is that the earth's health is really inextricable from our health as humans. Mm. And that's another, like Kutchen's work, I, this is very heady. Kutchen's, I can't really understand. He's an OT theorist, but I can't even remember his, I can't even remember the term for what he talks about, but like the name of his theory. But some of the writing that he's done, Malcolm Kutchen, I think is his name, because a PhD cohort member corrected me that it's Kutchen, not Kutchen. So. <laughs> I made a mistake on the podcast, y'all. <laughs> so one of the things that he talks about is that we often as OTs think about the environment as a container and the person being in the container or something. Mm, and yeah. it's really not, that's a bad model, really. It's really all kind of intertwined and yep. inextricable from each other. You can't pull the person out of the environment. You can't move the environment from the person. Like it's all one and the same. Mm-hmm. Place integration maybe is his... Gosh, I feel like I'm trying to study for my PhD exams again. So we'll just leave that at that. And y'all can go look at that if you want to. But it just, I'm trying to explain that there are real correlations with some of the writers in OT, with some of the writing from eco-psychology. They call it an interdependent paradigm. I had written that down to say, because I love that language. It's like, it is, we're interdependent with the earth. The earth's health will always depend on our health. Our health will always depend on the earth's health. There's no way around it you know, like it's the reality of living on the earth. So, Mm -hmm. but we often ignore this as OT practitioners. Like how often are we actually looking at whether our clients have connection to nature as part of their human experience, right? And it's free. It's out there. I mean, it's not something that is hard. We'll talk about that in a bit. I think like ways that people can think about integrating nature, but it doesn't have to be super complex and hard to do. So it's definitely something once we have that mental shift and can kind of think about connection to nature as part of our practice as OTs, I think it can really transform our practice, even just doing simple things. I want to go there like right now and be like, I know you're just telling me the tip of the iceberg (laughs) of the benefits of nature, but I agree in our traditional practices, it to me feels, I wouldn't know where to start if I'm in an outpatient clinic or in a hospital. Mm -hmm. So I think I want to start there. Like, what do you see if we're sold on the power of nature Mm -hmm. and the interconnected of it with our patient's health? What's the low hanging fruit of what we could do in traditional practices to just start incorporating a little bit of that in? Yes. Well, the good news is that this has been cited so many times. In 1984, Roger Roger Ulrich, U-L-R-I-C-H, you can search it on Google, view from a window decreases 
surgery recovery or something like that is the title of his talk. So he studied whether or not people who were post-op after a surgery, I don't remember what kind, would take less time to recover if their bed was placed by a window with a view of nature versus a window that looked out onto like a concrete wall of the other hospital building or whatever. And they found that it reduced surgery recovery time. So those people were being released from the hospital earlier. Mm -hmm. So this article, it's like what they call like a seminal article. Like it's been cited by everybody. But so a simple application of that for us as OTs is like, you think that it might not matter, but honestly, like just moving your treatment sessions to a place where there is a view of a tree or a view of some kind of nature rather than in where many OTs work, a closet in the hallway at the school, you know, (laughs) Um, but just moving your treatment by a window that has a view of nature. You don't even need to be outside. You just, yeah, you don't even need to be outside. outside. And that's the other thing. I just went to a presentation by Claire Warden. It was an online thing offered through the city of Madison public library. And she's a famous educator of children, nature-based educator. She's written tons of books and I think she's in Scotland or England, I can't remember, somewhere in Europe. But she did this presentation. And one of the things she talked about in the presentation was real images of nature, like a photograph of a nature scene rather than a painting of flowers or something like that. Mm -hmm. But real images of nature actually have a calming effect on people as well. And she talked a little bit, which was so interesting to me, about the visual complexity of a nature image versus what a painting or a cartoon drawing, she was specifically talking about kids, Yeah, might give you as far as visual input and like needing to kind of visually and cognitively process what you're seeing. And it's something that is in a lot of the nature literature is how there's this really strange balance in nature where it's sensory stimulating, but also sensory calming at the same exact time. And I think there's a huge line of research waiting to be done about children with SI and nature, but that's Mm. another topic. So anyway, it's interesting, right? So photographs of nature in your practice, moving your therapy session by a window or taking your therapy session outdoors for a little bit is the just simple things, you know, don't try to overcomplicate it. Dip your toes in the water of nature-based practice. And then the last thing is also really simple too, and kind of goes back to What I said about you don't need to be a botanist or an environmentalist and know every name of every tree and know which blade of grass is this and which flower is this and which animal is this. You don't have to know all that like cognitive knowledge to foster your own connection to nature too, to be able to do it for your clients. So thinking about your own connection to nature and fostering your own connection to nature by intentionally spending time in natural spaces is, I would say, even the number one way that we as Mm, OTs should be starting, you know, just letting you see the own benefits for yourself. And that's going to naturally spill over into your work because it'll be more front of mind, more, you know, in your mind when you're talking with clients. So just go outside. That's my simple advice. (laughs) Move by a window or go outside. We overcomplicate it too much. And I don't think we should. I don't want people to be, you know, to overcomplicate it and just not get started. Yeah. Yeah. I think before 
like reading this article and digging into this more this week, I would have been like, I need to become like a mountaineer. Yes. To use nature yes. as my therapy versus thinking like it makes a big difference if I go and walk in our local park. Right. And have that level of connection. And even that will spill over into the therapy that I provide. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. Cause you have lived experience of it, right? We're OTs. We're all about the lived experience, the yeah. doing, right? The experience, the being and doing together. And I think when you have lived experience of what nature offers you, it's so natural to then want to take it to your clients yes. and see how it can benefit them. Yeah. Some of that sounds a little bit ethereal and intangible. Yeah. And something I definitely wanted to tease out from you was I know that there are like specific assessments that we can use that relate to connectedness to nature. Mm-hmm. Could you speak to that part of the OT process a little bit? Yeah, this was a total mind-blowing experience for me because I was not aware of these assessments until about a year or two ago. I had a course in my PhD program on assessment. And one of the assignments was that we had to analyze three different assessments and kind of fill out some very detailed information about them and analyze whether or not they were good assessments. And I wasn't so keen to do pediatric OT ones because I knew a lot of those, right? I've used them in practice and things Mm -hmm. like that. And in my searching, I found that there is a whole body of assessments measuring whether or not people have a deep connection to nature. So what I would say is as OTs, I think kind of going back to like thinking about incorporating nature, right? What we assess is going to determine what we treat. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so yep. that's like a basic of OT, right? So incorporating a nature connection assessment in your practice with some of your clients might actually help you and your clients to be on board with the fact that this is important. Mm -hmm. It's important to be thinking about our connection in nature and really highlight the value of having that as a focus of treatment, right? There's really simple assessments. Now it's not complex. It's not like you have to hook someone up to a heart monitor and take them outdoors and have them sit for 20 (laughs) minutes and then measure. And, you know, like, it's not like that at all. Most of these assessments, I'll list a few in a minute, but most of them are very simple and quick to administer. There are a few questions with people rating, you know, on a Likert scale, maybe, or just rating yes, no, there's a variety of different ways, but these are so perfectly poised to be used in research. So in the future, I will be... (laughs) (laughs) using them. So there are several, the ones that I just want to briefly mention for people in case they want to go and look them up. There is the connectedness to nature index for parents of preschool children by Sobco. It's CNIPPC is based on the connection to nature index, which was an assessment for older kids, like eight to 12 years. So those kind of cover the childhood years. There are several others. There's one called the Nature Connection Index, which is for ages seven and up. That's by Richardson, Miles Richardson. There's a Connectedness to Nature Scale, which is for adults. And there's several others too. But if you go on Google and you type in Nature Connection Assessment, you will find assessments, actual assessments that have been Mm -hmm. made by researchers to measure nature connection in people. And they are simple to use. I should say that if you know me at all, you know I'm super honest. 
I don't use these in my nature-based practice right now. Mm. And the reason is because we have not found an easy way with everything else we have to manage with registration and parents and waivers and all the other assessments we do. We will likely start using them, my guess is, after my PhD is done and I can like focus on getting some systems in place in my business to actually do some you know, internal research essentially to say like, are our services increasing nature connection in children? I think that would be a really simple thing to integrate in practice to do a pre and post test after you do an outdoor service. So there are tools available to measure whether your nature intervention in OT is actually changing people's nature connection. And then we need to find out if it's correlated with improvements in occupational participation and performance. That's where I think our research needs to go Yeah, in the future. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That really, I mean, and this is every OT in their practice, but we're all our own little researchers and scientists mm-hmm. trying to track this information. And if knowing that our connection to nature is so important, I agree that that is something I can see us tracking in the future. And again, something that would make us unique and stand out as OTs within the traditional medical field. So we've talked just like big picture about the overall benefits of being in nature on health. We've talked a little bit about how we can bring those into just our traditional practices and touched on Mm -hmm. assessment. I really wanted to get to, I know there's multiple different layers and types of nature therapy beyond what we've talked about. Mm -hmm. Could you, uh, I guess, just orient us a little bit to the different types of nature therapy that are out there? Yes. So I would say that nature-based therapy is such an umbrella term, Mm -hmm. right? And there are people practicing in hippotherapy or equine assisted therapy that would consider that nature-based therapy. They're outdoors. They're with a living animal. That's nature-based therapy to them, right? Now, how I would define nature-based therapy might be different than that because I'm doing research and I have to define it very narrowly. You know, Mm -hmm. I mentioned before there's adventure therapy where you're going into the back country or you're going on a kayaking trip. That's what I picture in my mind when I think nature. Yeah, totally. Right. So there's that kind. There are nature-based enrichment programs that are run by OTs that aren't necessarily therapy. They might just be for health and wellness for usually you see it with children, like an outdoor camp or something, Mm -hmm. but even with adults, you see people do forest bathing. That's not necessarily an OT service, right? You're not assessing and tracking goals, but it's a health and wellness model and approach that is getting people outdoors, connecting with nature, experiencing the beauty of the forest, the calming benefits of nature. That's a nature-based therapy, right? A nature-based therapy practice, I guess. So yeah, I don't know that I have in my mind a really like segmented kind of categorization of all the different types of nature-based therapy. Multiple of the ones I was... Yeah, but I do, I do think one of the articles that we are giving people with the episode show notes, yeah. right? The references that we have. That's one of my favorite articles ever, Nature's Role in Outdoor Therapies, an Umbrella Review. So that article specifically looks at different types of mm-hmm. outdoor therapies and might be a really good resource for people who want to think creatively about what they might be able to do in their area of practice, or maybe in a private practice that they want to start, because there's so many different ways of 
incorporating nature in practice. Horticulture. I didn't even talk about that. Gardening programs at schools. OTs run those, right? So there's so many ways that you can focus on nature and have it be a part of your practice as an OT in like almost any treatment setting. Mm -hmm. In your mind, is there a line between what differentiates general nature therapy from OT-based nature therapy? I'm sure that the line's a little gray, but is there certain things that you think of in your mind that make it OT specific? Yes. That's Can I get on a soapbox here? Yeah, I don't think yeah, it's a I hard question. Here. Yeah. I don't think it's a hard question. Oh, good. I think we should be focused on occupation. Like that's yeah, okay, <laughs> like good. we need to focus on occupation. That is what we need to continually be educating our clients about and talking with them about, about what occupation is, about what our profession means by the word occupation, mm-hmm. meaningful things that occupy your time. Okay. And it's okay to have a goal for a child to work on social skills or whatever, but ultimately what we want that family knowing is that our job as OTs is to help them participate in daily life. And some of this will depend on what theory you use. Honestly, like I love occupational adaptation theory. I go back to it all the time. And for me, if I think as a therapist using OA theory to influence my nature-based work, then my focus is going to be on that child achieving relative mastery of play skills that they need to participate in daily life. And that leads to the child feeling competent and confident. Mm -hmm. So that is like an underlying kind of understanding of why you're doing what you're doing and being able to communicate the power of occupation to families or to the people that you work with. I think that is what occupational therapy is. And that doesn't change if it's outdoors. Mm-hmm. Margie Bang, B-E-N-G-E, she has been doing nature-based work as an OT for many years. She's in the Facebook group that I moderate. And she made a point in the group one time in a post, like, I just want to remind us all that nature-based therapy or nature therapy is not a thing. We are occupational therapists, yeah. you know, <laughs> like, yeah, like, Nature is the co-facilitator, I call it the co-facilitator of therapy, right? Like that's in a lot of the eco-psychology literature too. Nature co-facilitates. It's not like we don't use nature for therapy. We co-facilitate therapy with nature. That's something that I think people can just mull on a little bit. But when Margie said that, I was like, amen. I mean, we need to be occupational therapists. We need to focus on participation and occupation And nature co-facilitates that process with us. And nature is important in occupational participation and performance. Like the research is clear that it helps occupational participation and performance, even if it's not done in the field of OT. So that focus on occupation is so important. And to like communicate that to our clients, I think is key. Yeah. I was starting to think of it as like an accelerator for us. Yes, like 100% steroids to also incorporate nature, right? An accelerator. That's a better way to say Maybe that's a good title for my PhD research. (laughs) Nature-based OT, OT for kids on steroids. (laughs) Maybe not. So there's so much more we could talk about. I really want to give you just a couple minutes to speak to if people are listening to this and they're like, Yes, I want to learn more about nature-based OT. Where are like the beginning places after listening to this podcast that you would direct them? 
the most accessible place I would say is obviously online, right? Facebook is a great resource. Facebook groups are a great resource. So I run a free Facebook group for nature-based pediatric therapists, specifically focused on peds. It's multidisciplinary though. It's not just OT. It's called Therapy in the Great Outdoors, Nature-Based Pediatric Therapist. So you can find it if you search Therapy in the Great Outdoors. And that's a free group. I do trainings there and resources and all of that there. There is also, so Bronwyn Painter is an OT in Australia and her and I just love each other. Our work is very aligned, right? We have slightly different focuses, but she has a group called Nature OTs. And I think she also has another kind of splinter group now for people that want to start like nature-based, like OT entrepreneurs interested in nature who want to start kind of nature businesses. And her group, I would say it's a great group for if you aren't interested in peds, because my group might have some helpful stuff, but really we're focused on children. Her group is really great for OTs who there's a lot of mental health therapists there, people who are working with adults and designing all kinds of different forest bathing programs and things like that. So it's kind of more broad OT in nature. And then there's also a Facebook group called Outdoors, the number four OT. And that group, I'm not in that group a lot, so I can't speak to it as much, but it's not really hosted by, I think it's hosted maybe by a group of admins. So it's not so much like Bronwyn and I both in our groups were providing resources. And we also have paid products for people, right? So there's a little bit more ownership of the group in Bronwyn and I's groups, but in the Outdoors for OT group, it's more kind of free posting and things like that. But people should know about it. I mean, there are groups where you can get information about what's going on in nature-based practice for OTs. So I would say that's a great place to go. And then there are so many articles. I mentioned the one about nature's role in outdoor therapies, which Sarah, you've linked right in the. Yeah. Yep. I'll link to all these articles we're mentioning and assessments and groups for people. Yep. And then there's also the article that's linked here called nature prescriptions for health, a review of evidence and research opportunities. So those two Sarah specifically asked me to give my top favorite articles. I gave her three and these are the top two. So (laughs) we can't give everything, right? (laughs) The show notes would be a mile long if I gave you all the ones I love. And then my favorite, favorite book, I would be sad not to mention this, although it is just for pediatric people, I'm sorry, but it's called Nature-Based Therapy, A Practitioner's Guide to Working Outdoors with Children, Youth, and Families. So that book is a really fabulous resource for anyone who wants to do nature-based work as an OT with children and families. It's a gem of a resource. It's a little bit academic, but it's very high quality, very well-researched, tons of evidence in there. And there might be something similar for adults, but I don't know of that book, so... (laughs) Yeah, just off the top of my head as I'm hearing you talk about this, I'm like, something that I really sense with nature-based OT is it feels like a really global community. Like, Mm -hmm. even how you were saying at the beginning that the research was coming out of Uganda and this came to us from Serbia and there's this Australian OT and nature is such an equalizer for us across the world. Like, it doesn't matter. It's something we can all experience as OTs and be communicating about each other with. So that's yeah. just, there's so many exciting components of this little world that you're in. Right. That was something actually that my mentor for my research proposal 
she, she was looking at the literature with me and she's like, is there any literature in the U S on this? Like, cause it was truly from all over the world everywhere, but the U S really. <laughs> yeah. So that is, I mean, it's a great point. It really gives you this global perspective and it is something that crosses cultural barriers. Really. It's calming for humans on like a real evolutionary biology level, like deep within us as humans, there is this need for connection to nature. That's called biophilia hypothesis. <laughs> I love all your words. I know. <laughs> It's helping me. I feel like I'm like, oh, this is great for when I'll have to defend my proposal. I can just <laughs> podcasting is good prep for your dissertation proposal interview. <laughs> <laughs> uh, oh, well, we're coming to the end of our time today, but I have a couple rapid fire questions I want to okay. ask just to get to know you just a little bit better at the very end. So I'll have a question and you can just do the first thing that comes to your mind. Okay. What is your favorite assessment to do? This is probably kind of like hypocritical to say because I don't actually use it in practice, but I love the scope, the short child occupational profile. Mm. It's a MOHO-based assessment. And I studied it in my PhD program and did a little project on it. And I really love it. It's strengths-based. It's just a nice assessment for pediatric therapists that I think is kind of unknown so yeah. I wanted to give it a shout out if you're you a need moho. to come back sometime and we'll just talk about assessments because yes, oh, I would love it. <laughs> What's your favorite OT intervention to deliver? Nature-based groups outdoors. It's <laughs> <laughs> pretty much it. Yeah. <laughs> Group games outdoors in nature. Can you paint an idea of what one of your favorite sessions would be? Well, my favorite thing to do with kids, I feel like people get tired of me saying this is my favorite activity, but I love you bring a bunch of ropes and a bunch of carabiners and you find a small grove of trees where there's a lot of trunks next to each other. And you let the kids kind of go crazy, just tying the ropes up and you kind of go around after them and make sure they're tied. So you let the group just kind of build a spider web. Kids will spend so much time building this and fixing it and climbing on it. And it is such a fun activity. It is so fun. Fire making would be the second favorite. Probably it's always a hit. I always tell nature-based pediatric therapists now, not in California during a drought, you can't do fire, (laughs) but if it's okay to do fire, if you have a really bad session, if you have a really bad week where you just feel like the group didn't gel, like maybe you were kind of frustrated with a kid or there were some behaviors and it was just, you feel like it's not gelling next week, fire. Make a fire. That's what you yeah. need to do. <laughs> because it's just mesmerizing for all Oh, kids. I could stare into fire yeah. for so it's Yeah. So it's really, and it's something they don't often get to do. We have to do a lot of talk about safety, but yeah. So building the spider web or fire is my favorite. And what's something you've read recently that's inspired your OT practice? That article, Nature's Role in Outdoor Therapies, an umbrella review. I was ecstatic when I found it. I wrote hearts on the top of it. It's my favorite (laughs) article ever. I think because my research question for my dissertation research is actually what is the role of nature in pediatric occupational therapy, nature-based practice. So the fact that it said role of nature in the title and then was such a well-done article, it just Mm. was like kind of a confirmation that I'm headed on the right path. This is what I'm excited about doing. And there's other people researching this too. And it was just exciting for me. So super inspirational to read that. I loved it. That's awesome. And my final question is, how do you feel like 
a client would feel after their initial visit or session in an outdoor program? Oh, this goes back to that OA theory. I really hope that a child and a family, Mm. because again, a child is in a context of a family. You can't extradite them from that. They are one thing, right? I really hope that they feel a sense of hope. And that is because I would hope that the session itself allowed the child to experience what OA calls relative mastery, where they kind of have a sense that they did something well, you know, there's other Mm -hmm. names for it and other theories, but they did something well and that there's a mental shift in their mind where they have a little bit more sense of agency, a sense of competence in themselves that they can make an effect on the world Mm. and they can change things in the world And then that leads to confidence and that leads to them being able to meet occupational challenges later in their life. So just delivering that sense of competence for kids, I think is top of mind for me all the time. Wow. Yeah. I've learned so much over this past hour about nature and health and not only for my clients, but also for myself Hmm. makes me think about my own health differently. So Laura, thank you so much for your time today and for sharing all this with us. Oh, thank you for having me. This was just a joy. I love talking about it and being with you, Sarah. (laughs) (laughs) It is fun to talk. (laughs) Wow, you all, I hope that you are feeling as enthused about nature-based therapy as I am after that conversation. I just love when things like this happen, when things that we kind of know intuitively, like the benefits of being in nature, when we can see the research that also supports that, and then find theories to really help us apply that to our daily practices. And I'm so excited to see how nature-based OT specifically evolves over the next decade. I definitely anticipate it to be a growing part of our profession. In the meantime, though, if you are interested in earning a continuing education certificate for your time today, what you are going to do next is head to otpotential.com and either sign in or sign up for the OT Potential Club. It is currently just $49 to have access to our courses and the many resources that we have in the club. We have tons of journal article reviews and places for you to discuss them. Uh, We really want this to be essentially an interactive evidence-based practice database for you. So I highly encourage you to join us there. And as always, I want to thank you for taking the time to be a part of our conversation today. I hope this podcast helps you broaden your knowledge, tweak your practice, and stay evidence-based. Take care, and we'll talk to you next time.